you know, I, I usually start my talk with the premise that we don't know what Jesus suffered, and it's important to know that he he paid the price for our salvation. It's important to know what that price cost him, mm-hmm. uh, and that looking at the cross is the greatest symbol of love that anyone could come up with. God's love there on display. But despite the blood, despite the pain, despite the torture, despite the humiliation of public execution and, and everything, you know, justice demanded that a man pay the price for the sin of Adam. But it was God's mercy that since no man could actually redeem people of the sins of the world, it was God's mercy and love that he asked his son, his obedient son, to become man so that the God-man could pay this price for us. And that's the real message of Good Friday. Hello, and welcome to Barbatos Catholic Podcast, the show where two Mexican dads talk about faith, life, and culture. We are your hosts, Gustavo and Walter, and today we are going to talk to Deacon Peter Ariema about the passion of the Christ through the eyes of a physician. Deacon Peter Ariema, welcome to the podcast. Thank so you. So great to have you here. Thank you. It's an incredible pleasure, a blessing, and an honor to be here. Well, likewise. <laughs> and here's your $20 for it. There you go. Thanks for the. <laughs> you know what, actually, let's just donate that to the poor box. Let's we'll, do keep that. It, we'll keep it rolling. Yeah, here's, we'll give you another uh, Solano sticker. Um, for, for those that don't know you, uh, can you give a, a, a brief uh, biography of you, how you, how you went to. Uh, uh, the best place on earth. Well, not the best place on earth, but one of the best places on earth. The center of, of the Mexico. universe. The center of the universe. Most people think it's Brooklyn, New York, but it's, well, Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico competes with that. <laughs> I was born and raised actually in Chicago uh, and went to Catholic schools actually my entire life, grade school, high school. Uh, in fact, my high school was the uh, Archdiocese, Archdiocese of Chicago Preparatory Seminary. And then I went to a Jesuit university in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, named John Carroll, uh, John Carroll University. Um, I finally wound up uh, majoring in comparative literature. Uh, I spent my junior year in Rome, which was an amazing, amazing experience because I had a chance to travel all over Europe and uh, actually spent uh, my 21st birthday and drank my first legal beer uh-huh. uh, in the in Jerusalem, oh, wow. in Israel. Look at that. Um, then uh, after I graduated, I decided that I wanted to go into medicine, which was kind of a quantum leap from uh, literature. And so uh, I started taking the uh, pre-med courses. I went down to the, the University of South Florida in Tampa and took all the pre-meds practically in a year. And uh, it was difficult to get into uh, American medical schools in that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a lot of competition. But I heard of a school in Guadalajara that was accepting a lot of Americans. And I knew that speaking Italian, French, and having all the Latin background that I had, Spanish should be pretty easy. And so I went down there and uh, got my medical degree uh, at the Autonomous University of Guadalajara. Mm-hmm. Nice. Autonoma. Autonoma. Los Tecolotes de Autonoma. There you go. (laughs) Shout out to the Tecolotes. Híjole. So then you ended up in Phoenix with your practice? Uh, Yes. Uh, 
I did my uh, internship and residency uh, in general surgery in uh, New York, in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I, my wife graduated from the same medical school that I did. Um, we never really dated in medical school, but we met at the same hospital in Brooklyn and we did our internships and started our residencies together. Uh, and we got caught between the moon and New York City, uh, <laughs> as the song goes. As it, as it, as it says in the song. As right? it says in the song. Uh, we were married in Brooklyn. Uh, I finished my residency in uh, Chicago, uh, specializing in uh, urologic surgery. And uh, we then moved actually to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And I had a private practice there, mm -hmm. which is where I started this talk. I started giving this talk back in... It goes way back then. 1988, I wow. believe, was when oh, wow. I first gave this talk. Uh, before you guys were born. No, and we were already we were around. <laughs> I was tiny, but yeah, already here. <laughs> Toddler, maybe. And then um, I did a fellowship in urologic oncology, specializing in cancer surgery. Uh, that was in Buffalo, New York. And then um, moved out here to Arizona, I think we got here in 1997. Uh, and uh, I retired from uh, the VA in Phoenix. I was chief of urology there for 17 years. Wow. wow. And on so top of all the, he's a deacon of the Catholic Church. <laughs> Correct. Just, yeah, just the cherry no on pressure, top. Guys. Cherry no on pressure. Top. So yeah. you're, you're somewhat qualified to talk about right. our topic today. I'm just going to throw it out there. Well, from, a, from the medical aspect, you know, it was funny because when I started giving this talk, uh, even that's a little bit interesting. Uh, I had a friend, uh, a good friend, who was a hairstylist in this small town that we lived in West Virginia. And uh, he was um, a, a Protestant. He was an evangelical Protestant. And every time I'd go get my hair cut, he knew I was Catholic because we had such, there were such, such few Catholics in the town. And he'd ask me questions about the Bible. One time I went in there, I'm getting my hair cut, and he says to me, uh, I was telling my pastor about you, and he wanted to know, uh, I told him, he says, I told him that this guy knows more about the Bible than anybody I've ever known. And my pastor would like to know what you were before you became Catholic, because <laughs> everyone knows Catholics don't, don't read the Bible. <laughs> and so I said, no, I'm a cradle Catholic. Uh, and his pastor invited me, wanted me to come and speak at his church. So I said to him, you know, I'm a surgeon. I take out malignant kidneys and prostates mm -hmm. and uh, I, 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 I fight cancer. I, I don't fight for God. In fact, in my own background in Catholic, uh, the Catholic Church, we have professionals to do this. They're called priests and nuns and brothers and deacons, and, and they do that. And I... Certainly not anything like that. And I don't think that God would ever call me to anything like that. Little did I know. God always has the last laugh. Uh, and so, um, uh, yes, when I, I came out to, uh, we moved out to Arizona. Of course, we got very much involved. And in, we were involved, my wife and I, in, in all the churches that we ever attended. Mm -hmm. She's uh, uh, an incredible musician uh, playing the organ, the piano, uh, guitar. She has a beautiful voice. Uh, and I've done just about everything, you know, uh, Eucharistic minister, lector, um, Holy Name Society. I mean, you name it, men's clubs, men's groups. RCIA. <clears throat> RCIA. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I uh, began, I was accepted into the uh, 
program for the Diocese of Phoenix uh, for the permanent diaconate. And I was ordained on November 8th, uh, 2014. That's amazing. And um, we had the privilege of having you at St. John of Arc for a few years. And um, that was pretty good because I remembered the one of the classes that I attended for confirmation, uh, I was a sponsor for someone. You went through salvation history in like an hour. And I was just writing notes. All, some, you could tell who was the biggest nerd in the room by that. But um, today... Um, we we brought you in to, to talk about the, the passion of the Christ because it's it's Holy Week and um and we want to have that perspective just to invite people to go deeper into um reflecting what happened to Jesus because it, I think in in your talk you talk about how crucifixes are sanitized correct mm -hmm. that we can you ex expand a little bit on that sure sure you know if I can go back one one yeah. point though yeah. I didn't. I didn't make the full point. I eventually spoke uh, as that pastor invited me, and I and I I told my friend, I can come. I want to make sure that you all know I'm not a representative of the Catholic Church. I'm not mm -hmm. a professional religious person. I'm a doctor, and I'll tell you exactly how Jesus died and what he suffered, as a physician would tell you. Mm -hmm. And that was the that was the takeoff. That was the start of the talk. That was wow. the genesis of this. That was exactly wow. A hairstylist. I hear sounds. So you never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know the Holy how God Spirit is going is gonna, to enter in yeah. your life and where the Holy Spirit will lead you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I remember when I first heard it, and it it's transforming, you know, and I heard it during a Holy Week, and I was just blown away. And it really made me dive deeper into Holy Week yeah. because you have all of that reference fresh in your mind hearing it from that perspective yeah. because yeah. we're worldly creatures right so we are and, and we're sensual creatures in the sense that we that, 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 that we intake information especially nowadays where it's an overload of information um it's a it's a very good reminder to to put the spiritual with the physical and how it went down so when i heard it i was just like i was recommending it to everybody i was like Spamming people, just sending it. <laughs> well, you, you asked about why I say that our crosses, our crucifixes are sanitized. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our Protestant brothers and sisters usually use a cross in their church. The mm -hmm. cross is the quintessential symbol for, for Christianity. But for Catholics, we use the cross and the corpus, the body of Jesus on the cross itself mm -hmm. is that was the moment where our salvation was actually won. Mm -hmm. That is that, that that's everything for us. Uh, and uh, over time, uh, the horror of exactly what crucifixion was and what Jesus would have looked like on the cross uh, was, was almost forgotten. You know, it wasn't almost until the seventh and eighth centuries where the crucifix became a symbol of, uh, reverence, a symbol of veneration, a symbol found in our churches, because right. the memory of how horrible crucifixion really was persisted that long. Crucifixion was outlawed uh, in uh, 337 by mm -hmm. the Emperor Constantine. Uh, and within a few generations, people forgot exactly how crucifixion was carried out, which is why all our crucifixes, we almost all of them, universally show that the nails 
were in the palms of the hands mm-hmm. right. uh, and, and not where they really would have been in reality, which, which is we'll get in to the wrist. Um, so you, you mentioned something that uh, stuck with me, that the, the Gospels don't give any details of crucifixion because it was so commonplace. Right. They would have, everyone who was reading those Gospels for, at that time period when they were read, they would have known exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. And that's why they, they just say, he arrived at Golgotha, the place of the skull. There he was crucified. Mm-hmm. That, that's the only thing that people would have needed to know. Mm-hmm. The horror of all of that would have come to them as they were reading that. We don't experience that because we don't know the reality yeah. of what it is. They would have. Yeah. Um, so should we dig into the timeline of the sure. passion? Sure. So we begin with um, Thursday. You have like a very specific date, Thursday, April 6th, 30 AD. So according to our calendar, Jesus would have been born on the year 3 AD. Anywhere. Anywhere. We don't don't really know. You know, Mm -hmm. Jesus kind of, he kind of quietly crept into the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bishop Barron says that, he was probably born behind enemy lines, mm-hmm. you know. Although, although quickly his enemies lined up against him, King Herod mm-hmm. specifically, right. uh, where Joseph had to take his wife and child and and to safety in the, into Egypt. Um, so we really don't know the date of, of when he was born. Anywhere from six to three okay. BC. Uh, but most of the archaeologists believe that the. The, the date for when he died would have been April 7th okay. in the year uh, 30 AD. Now, there is some controversy about that. There is a group that thinks that, and they've, they've tried to do all their research, and you know, who, was, uh, who was the Tetrarch of Galilee, who was the Emperor of Rome, when was, were there uh, known earthquakes that took place? Mm. Uh, so uh, another date... Uh, is actually April 3rd, 33 AD. Okay. Uh, but I think the most common is the one that I have actually posted in this talk. Okay. Um, and you know the Jewish calendar, the new day starts at sundown. Uh, and at sundown on that Thursday, according to our calendar, April 6th, would have already, which was the first night of Passover, mm-hmm. would have changed the date then to April 7th. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So... It starts with the celebration of Passover at 7, 7 to 10 p.m., um, where Jesus and the apostles have the, the, the Seder, Seder meal. Seder meal. Seder meal. Um, and it, it was literally his last meal. Yeah, yeah. After this meal, he would not get anything to eat or drink, not even water, uh, until, until he died. Interestingly enough, Scott Hahn... Uh, wrote a book and gives talks about the fourth cup. Mm. There are four cups of Passover. And in John's gospel, Jesus and the apostles leave after drinking the third cup. The fourth cup goes uh, undrunk. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he says, I will not drink until I come into my kingdom. Uh, And he does take wine from the spear of with a sponge on it of one of the one of the guards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, he says, now it is all accomplished. Because in Scott Hahn tries to drive home the point that the Passover meal began that what we call the Last Supper, but didn't conclude until the death of Jesus on the cross, because he is the true lamb of God. He's mm-hmm. the Passover lamb. 
Got it. That's amazing. Um, it's been a while since I read that book, but I do remember that part. And when it was explained to me, it was like, imagine that uh, a priest is saying mass and then after the Eucharistic prayer, he does something completely different and veers off and starts doing something else. I was like, oh, okay, that's one way to put it. <laughs> well, it was, and it was really a very emotional experience for mm -hmm. Jesus. And he did several things there during that meal, which were not ordinary, which were not part of the celebration. Washing the feet of the apostles was a, a, a shocking thing, shocking to the point where Peter actually got angry uh, and didn't want Jesus to, mm -hmm. to wash his feet. Uh, but he did that as an example and said, you know, now I'm doing this for you. I am teacher and Lord. Right. You must do these, this to one another. I mean, Peter is kind of hot-headed. So yeah, and then, the and then he goes from one extreme to the other, right? Not yeah. only my feet, Lord. You know, yeah, it's like, my, okay, you're overcorrecting, yeah. Peter. Okay, <laughs> calm down. Settle down. My I have 11 character. more people to go to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, after Jesus, Peter is the second most mentioned name in the New Testament. Oh, yeah. That's how important he was for the mm -hmm. for the early church and for the evangelists. Mm -hmm. nice. Wow. So he, the, the, the dinner finishes around 10 p.m. And they go out into um, the... the The upper room was in the upper city of Jerusalem. So they would need right. to go through these. Through the lower city and, the then, lower city. and then they would go out. I think it was the, it was the fountain gate in Jerusalem. Uh, and they would have crossed into what's called the Kidron Valley, which okay. is still there today. Mm -hmm. uh, there were no, it's funny because when you, if you walk through the Kidron Valley at nighttime, lights from the city illuminate everything. Uh, but what illuminated everything for them was the huge Passover moon because mm -hmm. the Passover moon Happens is the full is the the, the full Got moon it. for that month, and it's I don't know why, but it always seems in, when you're in Jerusalem and it's and it's time of the Passover that moon is just is, is the biggest you've ever seen. Wow! Um, and they went to uh, the Mount of Olives. They went to there was a special garden there, the Garden of Gethsemane, mm -hmm. uh, which was one of Jesus' favorite places to go when he was in Jerusalem. When he wasn't staying with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in Bethany, which is about two and a half miles from Jerusalem, mm -hmm. he would camp out in the in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane there. Got it. And something very important starts happening at Gethsemane. Um, we get from Luke twenty two forty four this line that says, "His sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground." Um, Can you explain the like the medical condition for that specific? Sure, um, sure. This is a phenomena? very this is a very rare um, pathologic state, if you want to call it that. Um, the Gospels say that Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Those were the uh, those were the the uh, the three musketeers. Mm -hmm. uh, they were his core group. Uh, he took them. Interestingly enough. They were able to witness his transfiguration mm -hmm. um, on Tabor, yep. uh, where he showed a glimpse, just a glimpse of his divinity, and it overwhelmed them, mm -hmm. overwhelmed them completely. Uh, and I think they needed that because of what they were going to witness here. Mm -hmm. that it was a preparation, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So he took them with him, uh, and then he went about what they call a stone's throw, Uh, and uh, knelt down and began to pray intensely to his father. And it's almost as if he has now come face to face with his death. Mm -hmm. As God, he knows what's going to happen. He's seen victims of crucifixion. They, they were all over Israel. They were all over the Holy Land at the time, throughout the entire empire. Uh, 
he knows what happens during Roman scourging. He's seen that. Roman, the Romans used uh, scourging actually as a form of execution. It was that severe. Hmm. Uh, and he knows this is all happening to him. And it's almost as if he's now come face to face with his own demise. He's 33 years old. He's got an incredibly physically fit body because of the work that he's done. Mm-hmm. I mean, muscles on top of muscles, probably not an inch of body fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and he knows that this time, the next day, his body will have been totally destroyed by the Romans, and it'll be cold and lifeless and laying in the tomb. And so he intensely prays to his father and says, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass me by. Mm-hmm. He did not want to have to drink from that bitter cup. Mm-hmm. But then he says, let your will be done and not mine. You know, I mentioned Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Two and a half miles on the other side of, of the Mount of Olives are Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, Martha and Mary, who would welcome him with open arms. All he had to do was make an about face and head over the hill, and he would have avoided the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And yet he faced the city of Jerusalem. And when the Romans came with the, with the uh, uh, actually with the, Temple guards came, uh, and they asked for Jesus of Nazareth. He steps forward. Mm-hmm. He steps forward and identifies himself. Wow. He gives yeah. himself over to his father's will. The intensity of the anxiety that he was feeling about the upcoming passion and death and suffering that he would go through causes uh, in tremendous nerve stimulation. Uh, and what it does is that nervous stimulation then causes the blood vessels, small blood vessels, the corpuscles, uh, in the skin to actually hemorrhage, rupture and hemorrhage. And what happens then is that as they bleed uncontrollably, they will bleed into the sweat glands. And so out of the pore, not only comes sweat, but blood. And this is a case, this is called hematidrosis. And the liter- hematidrosis literally means sweating blood. And so uh, uh, it happens in an intense, intense emotional uh, situations, stressful, uh, anxiety. Uh, the first time I think it was recorded was in some of the trench warfare in World War I. Mm, makes uh, and sense. up until then, Luke, who wrote this, that Je- it was the only one who wrote that Jesus was sweating blood. People thought it was a poetic way of describing his, his anxieties. Oh, please, Father, let this cup. No, this was a real, It was real a physical phenomenon. thing that happened. I was yes. going to ask that, you know, other than that, was there another case that was reported? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 is, it is very rare. Now, I, I, I don't have a background in psychiatry, uh-huh. uh, so I, and I've never witnessed this, but uh, psychiatrists could probably describe it, maybe mm-hmm. even better than I do. Uh, but it is a real, a real phenomenon. And so you can imagine this, what kind of anxiety he must have gone through. But if, when you think of it, he is the son of God. Mm-hmm. He's paying for all the sins of mankind. He, right. he doesn't even know what sin is. Mm-hmm. And yet on a human level, our strongest will is to, is to survive, to live. Mm-hmm. We, no one wants to die. You know, it was interesting during the Second World War, uh, in, in the concentration camps, it was very, very rare that one of the inmates of a concentration camp would actually kill himself. 
the way they could do it easily would be to throw themselves on the on the uh, uh, electric wires that surrounded the camps. Mm-hmm. And yet it's a very, very, very rare phenomenon that anybody did that, despite how horrible that, that the conditions were in those in those Nazi death camps. Uh, so uh, it's you see the dichotomy now between you know Jesus, the Son of God, and, and Jesus, the Son of Mary, at the mm-hmm. same time, God yeah. and man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that um, that is just so wonderful to contemplate. I guess, uh, especially when I'm praying the the sorrowful mysteries. It's like mm-hmm. just staying there with with him uh, over that rock where he's praying and having this stress, especially when you watch like the passion of the Christ, you and I have yeah. talked about that mm-hmm. quite a bit. I think in the movie they show, they really showed her. Well, mm-hmm. you, you see droplets of blood and then not only droplets of blood, but actually dri- dripping down. Mm-hmm. Now he wouldn't have lost a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it, it was, it was, it would probably be called what we would call a negligible loss of okay. blood. But what it does is it leaves the skin very, very sensitive. Oh, so okay. if you came up to somebody who had that phenomenon and you patted them on the back, it would be painful. Yeah, because all of those blood vessels are essentially exposed or erupt. They have, right? Yeah, they, they've hemorrhaged. Mm-hmm. They've hemorrhaged. And now you could imagine what's going to happen. What is he going to feel, the intensity, when he's scourged? Wow. So at, at, at midnight, he gets, he gets arrested. Um, and then he gets taken all over the place. He's taken to Anas, taken to Caiaphas, um, and all of those places are all over the the city of Jerusalem. So he's walking all of these distances. I think the um, from Gethsemane to Anas, it was like right south of the upper room, right. And then Caiaphas is Caiaphas the... is close to the upper room. Oh, okay. Annas, who was the father-in-law, he was the most powerful man in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He was the power behind this whole process. Uh, he lived actually just uh, just south of uh, of where the temple was, mm-hmm. because he was he had such temple business that he had to do. But altogether, Jesus would have walked anywhere from three to three and a half miles that night mm-hmm. before he was finally uh, brought and and then. Um, Tried by Caiaphas uh, and, the and thrown in a, a, a holding cell that night. Mm-hmm. There's a part that I saw that, that was um, interesting that I had not contemplated before that he receives a sharp blow to the face. Right. But he was blindfolded. Right. Um, so I, I think I read somewhere, I don't know if you remember, if you have heard this, that they had to put something over his face in order to hit him because they couldn't hit him without uh, seeing him face-to-face kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was something related to Until We Have Faces, um, that that book. But um, the fact that they, they mentioned it's a sharp blow to the face, that it was of consideration. It was, it was considerably forceful. Uh, and this was while he was talking face-to-face with Caiaphas. Mm. And there was a guard there who felt that he was insulting the high priest. Mm-hmm. And so he came over and he just hit him brutally right right in the face. And the fact that it was recorded, a lot of pathologists and archaeologists believe that it was strong enough, forceful enough to break his nose. Oh, my goodness. Then later on, after uh, when the soldiers wanted to have, or, or the 
people that uh, Caiaphas's guard mm-hmm. wanted to have mm-hmm. fun. Then they blindfolded him and they kept beating him on the face, a break, hitting his broken nose repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then then he was thrown into a holding pit mm-hmm. until about dawn. There's a beautiful church in Jerusalem called St. Peter where the cock crowed. Mm-hmm. St. Peter in Galicantu. Because it was this, this was the place where John was a friend of the high priest, John the Apostle. Mm-hmm. He was able to get in and watch this trial. And he then went uh, and spoke to the guard at the gate and he got Peter to come in. And mm-hmm. this is where Peter betrayed Christ. And it was during that beating where Jesus would have fallen over and would have made eye contact with Peter. There's a beautiful church there now. And then Peter heard the cock crow and then ran out and, and wept bitterly, according to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's built actually over the, the house of Caiaphas. And they have the holding room there. And um, it's actually an under, underground dungeon. And they would have either pushed you through a hole in the ground or let you down in ropes under your armpits to get in there. Uh, and from the earliest times, Christians gathered in that area there, remembering the place where Jesus spent the rest of that night. Mm. Uh, so it's one of the one of the holiest sites there. Mm. It's it's an incredible experience as a pilgrim to go there and then spend some time in that underground place where Jesus was trussed up all night. Wow! Uh, and and pray some of the psalms that he must have prayed. And again, he he had no no water, no food. Mm-hmm. That was his it. Holding cell. That was it. And probably sleep deprived. There's no way that he could have been exactly. able to sleep exactly. in that situation. Um, so then we go into daybreak around 6 to 7 a.m. Um, when Jesus is taken to the temple for a second official trial. Um, we, we've just, it's kind of like a check of where, um, where we are so far. Uh, he's exhausted from not sleeping that night. He's battered. He's bruised. He probably has a broken nose. He's dehydrated. Um, and then he's formally uh, condemned to death. Yeah, no, this was the official trial with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would be like uh, the houses of uh, 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 Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Uh, the Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees, maybe a few representatives from the Essenes. Uh, and they... Uh, with the exception of Joseph of Arimathea, uh, <laughs> he is uh, condemned to death, um, and because he's now now he's con- he's condemned for blasphemy, mm-hmm. uh, for sinning against God's name, for saying that he is the Messiah, that he's right. the Son of God, that he will destroy the temple. That they destroy the temple, he will rebuild it in three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Although he was speaking of his body when he right, right, right. Uh, when he when he did that. Um, so then after that, Jesus is taken to the Praetorium, they take him all over the place, to the Praetorium to, uh, of the Fortress of, uh, Antonia in the northern part of the city where it, that's where, um, Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate was. Pontius Pilate would have come, is the, is the, is the procurator, uh, he, uh, would have come to Jerusalem for the Passover. holy days, for the Passover, yeah. uh, it, Passover would have been like a, considered like a tinderbox. You know, mm. thousands and thousands of people flooding the city, going to the temple, uh, sacrificing the lambs, preparing their, sacro- their, their Passover meal, and the, the Seder. Uh, and so the, they would have beefed up the security. Uh, the procurator there comes himself. 
to avoid any type of uh, rebellion or uh, uh, um, risings or exactly, exactly. Yeah. And 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 Pontius Pilate had it had a record. He was a very cruel governor, procurator, uh, and they had complained about him many times. He'd been warned by Caesar uh, to to back off and to ease up, and so he was very conscious about any type of complaint. Uh, so uh, he would have been there to make sure that nothing was going on. Mm-hmm. The Jewish people, as uh, under under the thumb of Rome, uh, they could condemn someone to death, but they couldn't carry it out. Mm-hmm. Permission to execute a, a prisoner had to come from Rome. So that's why they had to bring him to Pontius Pilate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, so, but then Pilate finds out that Jesus is from the northern Galilee. part of... Israel. So they're like, okay, this is not my jurisdiction. He's like, not my jurisdiction. Take him to Herod Antipas. King Herod Antipas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Herod is like, this is not a king. And you know, King Herod Antipas is the man. He was the one who executed John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. And when he, and we know from the Gospels that when he heard that somebody was, there was this miracle worker who was, who was walking around and giving sight to the blind and mm-hmm. uh, healing deaf people, healing leprosy. Um, Herod was very, very curious about it. He was curious about John the Baptist. He didn't want to kill John. It was, he was it coerced. Was his, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was his brother's, he, he, it was his, well, if you want to call him his wife, Herod was living with his brother's mm-hmm. wife, uh, Herodias. Uh, and um, uh, John the Baptist scorned her. Mm-hmm. So she wanted him dead and got and got her wish through her daughter, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the dance of Salome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so now uh, he was convinced that it was John the Baptist come back to life, mm-hmm. uh, like Elijah would have been, mm-hmm. you know, w- w- with even more power than he had before. Right. Uh, and so Herod was curious. He wanted to see Jesus, so he welcomed him uh, into his court. Um, and Jesus remained silent, uh, didn't open his word, uh, and um, Herod eventually just gave up and just said, "This, this is just some this lunatic is a fool. or whatever." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not, uh, you know, I, I'm not interested in him anymore. Mm-hmm. And so he sent him back to Pilate. Uh, I'm sure Pilate was not pleased uh, that <laughs> mm-hmm. he came back, right? Because he doesn't want any trouble to happen exactly. in those days. Um, so help me to remember how. Does he decide to scourge him? He didn't want to kill Jesus. No, and actually for three three different times, uh, we know that Pilate tried to get him released. Um, you know, he had no, Pilate had no issue with the Jewish people. Hmm. So if they came to him and said, this man violates our Sabbath, this man blasphemes God, this man says that he is the Messiah, he is the son of the Most High, Pilate would his attitude would end mm-hmm. where <laughs> what the problem is. is yeah, right. yeah. But now they come and they say, he says that he is a king and we have no king, but Caesar. Caesar. Yeah. Now all of a sudden there's a false Messiah, sedition, unrest. And so now Pilate has to do something about him. Mm-hmm. And so he has him scourged, hoping that when the people see what he looks like after his scourged, that they'll have a little, heart and compassion mm-hmm. and say okay yeah he's paid he's paid for his crimes well especially because you mentioned that 
scourging would actually kill people. Yeah. So they would be like, if this doesn't do it, I don't know what will. Well, yeah. he didn't know, but he didn't want to go that far. I don't think he thought that it was going to get to that far, right? Probably not. I mean, I'm, ass I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. He even came up with, with uh, knowing that uh, at Passover, there was a custom where uh, the people could call for someone, a prisoner, to be released. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the, the chief priests the, must have paid off the crowd, probably, mm -hmm. uh, to ask for Barabbas. Mm -hmm. And that's very ironic. Barabbas' name means the son of the father. No. Bar Abba. Uh. Abba's daddy, Abba's father. Oh, it's like Bar Jonah. Yes. Bar Abba. Yes. Kephas Bar Jonah, Peter, son of, of John, Jonah. Uh, and here is the real son of the father who's handed wow. over for crucifixion. Man, Interesting. God has a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about Roman scourging, because why not? Uh, so it's, it's kind of a halfway death. A halfway death, yes. Or in cases where they wanted to be, it could be the whole way death. Uh, you could scourge a person to death. The Romans used um, a whip called, uh, they called it a flagrum. Uh, it was okay. a handled uh, instrument that had anywhere from nine to 12 leather thongs. Depending on where you were in the Roman Empire, they would either uh, attach uh, lead balls uh, to the to leather the straps. Okay. Uh, sharp sheep bones, for example, mm -hmm. uh, any sharp objects. objects. Uh, and so not only would the leather cause severe lacerations, but leather balls, uh, sheep bone, these would cut deep into the skin mm. through, the, through the dermis, through what's called the subcutaneous tissue, even into the muscle itself. Mm. And scourging was done by professional scourgers. What's your job? I scourge people. Uh, and they I practice for this. I, yes, oh, exactly. I, I put in the hours to do this right. And so, so now, like, I'm, now I have my certificate. They were very efficient. Right? Oh, the, unbelievably. Lictors. lictors, lictors. Exactly. What they did was they would strip the person of their clothes. They would tie them to an upright. And, and two lictors would actually do the scourging, one on either side of them. And then they would, they would actually take turns so in forming a cadence, almost a rhythm of doing this. Mm -hmm. And they would start at the, at the back of the neck, the nape of the neck, uh, and just proceed down the upper back to the lower back, buttocks, thighs, and calves. And they were so skilled that as the person moved on the, with each blow, they could even wrap that flagrum uh, around the front part of the chest of the person as well. Oh, my and there was no limit to how much they can do this. You know, the, the, the Jewish uh, uh, people used uh, beating with a rod uh, for forms of punishment. Uh, and the maximum amount was 39 that you could strike a person. Mm. But the Romans had no limit. It was up to the centurion. It was up to the, the one who was actually in charge of, the, of this, of this uh, uh, scourging. You could just go on. Right yeah. until what they did they is bored or something. They would stop if they thought the person was getting close to death. Oof. And with scourging, you have a tr tremendous loss of blood. You know, if you saw the movie The Passion of the Christ, right? I was gonna that, that pavement. <laughs> Sorry, mm -hmm. no, that's fine. It's an. I mean, again, the sorrowful mysteries, the scourging at the pillar. Yeah, it's thinking of that image of like this 
pool of blood. Yeah. Um, Jim Caviezel and I don't know the, the 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 people that did the makeup in that movie. They probably got an Oscar. Hopefully, they got an Oscar for that. But just like even the gums of his mm -hmm. teeth have yeah. blood. Yeah. How I don't, I don't know, but um, that image of of Jesus just bound um, and has all the stripes. Yeah. On his body, that. Would you say that the passion is the the most accurate depiction that it's been you know, put on film? Yeah, uh, it probably, probably. Uh, and one of the most accurate parts of that movie was it, the scourging scene. Really? And that's one of the scenes that was heavily criticized, mm -hmm. heavily criticized. Um, the, um, you know, the interest in the passion and a lot of knowledge in the passion, the knowledge of crucifixion and, and how this, Uh, proceeded in what happened uh, came from the Shroud of Turin. Huh. And uh, they actually could identify from the, from the scourge marks that the type of uh, flagrum that was used was one that was professionally made uh, and that instead of using round balls or uh, sheep bones, uh, things like that, mm -hmm. was like a little dumbbell-shaped uh, hunk of lead Uh, mm -hmm. where they would tie the, in the middle part, where the thin part of the dumbbell was, they would attach it to the flag room. Uh, and uh, these have been found. These have oh, been found. Wow. So they were like a, this was a, 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 a real first class uh, unit that was doing the, the scourging and the torturing of Jesus, if you want to call it that. Oh, goodness. Um, so it, he goes into cir circulatory shock. Can circulatory you, shock. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. There was so much blood loss um, that it, the person goes in, and probably in from the pain as well. They would have passed out mm. easily. Uh, to revive him, they would have thrown salt water on him uh, to mm. wake him up. Uh, and uh, uh, he nice. is then into, goes into uh, hypovolemic shock. Uh, hypo means low. Mm. Volemic refers to volume. So what it's, it actually describes is that the blood level in Jesus' body is very, very low because of all the blood that he lost during the scourging. And what happens is that the heart senses that there, uh, actually the brain senses that, that blood volume has been lost and that more, the heart has to pump more faster blood. to get blood to go to circulate through the body more. To keep it, to keep it going, essentially. Especially right? to keep the head going. Because mm -hmm. if blood volume starts dropping, he'll pass out. Okay. Uh, and so the heart speeds up, speeds up, speeds up. And then after a while, it can't keep that pace. And so it's forced to just slow down. And if blood volume isn't uh, added back to the person's body, then with the slower pace, the person will become very uh, weak, uh, will actually pass out. One of the other things it does, is, uh, the kidneys actually shut down. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to lose any water volume mm -hmm. from the body. And this causes intense thirst. And we see, we see this. Mm -hmm. well, he, he does yeah. say that from he the cross. He says, I'm thirsty. That's thirst. the only physical complaint he made out of the seven statements Jeez. from the cross. And he wasn't able to carry that cross beam. They had to, the Romans had to grab Simon of Serene out of the crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, the, so you, you mentioned, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but I, I think there's two depictions of... Um, Jesus carrying the whole cross, but then um, 
there was a stipes and the patibulum, right? Correct, the, correct. So yes. what, what, would if he carry the whole thing or just the the stipes? They, they, it's believed uh, that Jesus would have only carried the crossbeam, which is called the patibulum. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, now we always, you know, again because people didn't really know, they forgot what crucifixion was like. Uh, so we always see Jesus. With the whole cross. Carrying the whole cross. And he's it's like he's dragging the sins of the world on him. In fact, um, that's what Mel Gibson said he wanted to show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two, the two thieves, the two robbers, whatever you want to call them, in that movie, they carry they the patibulum the mm-hmm. on their shoulders. It was balanced on their shoulders. Their hands would be tied to it. Uh, but, the, but the upright, the stipes, uh-huh. was kept uh, at the place of execution, which was outside the city walls. And that would have been the Hill of Calvary or Golgotha. Uh, and so the only thing they had to carry there was that was that patibulum. The patibulum weighed anywhere from 90 to 100 pounds. Oh, my goodness. Now, think of it as, as Jesus was what's called a tecton, right. uh, which is carpenter, but also stonemason. He worked with lasting materials, stone and wood. Uh, he could make beautiful furniture, chests, plows, farm equipment was very popular. He would also be the one, uh, since houses in Israel were made out of large foundation stones and then mud bricked walls, it's, it was the Tecton's job to find those big foundation stones and roll them into place, which is why Jesus was probably a very strong, very fit, very fit muscular guy. man. Mm-hmm. And if you ever see a picture of the man of the shroud, who many people people believe is Jesus? He was an amazingly fit man, mm-hmm. regal looking. Mm-hmm. I, I've Remember? seen it. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to bring you back for the shroud of Turin talk. <laughs> uh, but okay, before we get to the crucifixion, just one small detail. On top of everything that we have talked about before, they put the the patibulum on him. He gets crowned with crown thorns. Of thorns, yes. Which the the thorns would not have been like gross thorns. They no. were like They're, serious you, things. You know, we're used to seeing because look how many things in the desert here where we live. The oh, Sonoran yeah. Desert have stone, but these are uh, easily two inches, maybe longer. There is a uh, tree, uh, several of these trees outside of a small church uh, on the uh, uh, Mount of Olives. Uh, in a small chapel where Jesus wept, it's called. Uh, um, oh, what's the name of this? the church where Jesus wept? Um, I forgot. I, I, it, I, I, I put I, it in I, the notes, but it, it'll come. We'll to figure me. it out. But outside of this church um, is uh, are several of these trees, and they are wicked looking, wicked mm-hmm. looking thorns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, to, in order to mock Jesus, because he said he was, was the king, king of the Jews, mm-hmm. they formed this this uh, crown. But it, actually, archaeologists tell us that uh, it was more more of a cap than uh, also a, a it was crown. not just like no a we ring, see, but it was instead of a dominus flevi. Dominus flevi. Yes. What am I thinking? It, it means where the where the Lord wept. Mm-hmm. Jesus wept. Yeah. Where Jesus wept. Uh, and. Um, I took a picture of those. Uh, I was impressed, even though there are so many thorny plants that we have here in Arizona. This, these were wicked. Uh, the circle of of a crown that we see uh, actually was medieval Europe 
um, kings would wear a circlet crown like that. Uh, King Herod would have worn a helmet. Uh, and so that's what they, that's what they constructed for him. Almost like a full cap of these of these thorns, and you know the the scalp bleeds mm-hmm. very very quickly and profusely. Uh, if you've ever had a little one of your kids who fell and had a scalp laceration, there's blood everywhere, and mm-hmm. it looks like they're going to need a transfusion. Exactly. And when you bring them to the emergency room, for example, well, tell me about and you <laughs> and you wipe that off, and you see what the wound is. You know, it's like a little half of a centimeter. Yeah, thing exactly. Or, you know, one or two little stitches and it's, and it's over with. Oh. Um, but uh, uh, to feed all the hair follicles, it just bleeds like crazy. Mm-hmm. On top of the hyperbolemic. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll bleed a little bit more. And now they're going to attach this patibulum to his shoulders mm-hmm. that have been ripped to pieces of their skin. Uh, and as he's walking, hunched over, that patibulum keeps bumping into that helmet of thorns. And throughout all of this, it's they're just whacking him randomly on top of everything that's already happened, right? And they're spitting just on him. Yeah. Spitting and, and, and yeah. mocking him and pushing him and shoving him. And so yeah. it's just the most horrific and humane thing that's ever happened yeah. to a human. And, and crucifixion is even more inhumane, more wicked. Uh, the word cruci- crucifixion means torture. It doesn't mean death. It means torture. Mm-hmm. Cruciare. Wow. I mean, they gave wine with myrrh or gall to the victim because the Romans are so passionate. Yes, they were. It's compassionate. It, well, in, in, their, in their eyes, this was just punishment for violating Roman law. Crucifixion was meant to be visible Mm -hmm. by everybody if they could. It was performed uh, in places that were very well-traveled, large roads going in and out of the city, because they wanted to make an example of these people. You see that in The Chosen. I had never seen that depicted. And Uh, on one of the episodes of The the Chosen, when Jesus and the apostles are walking towards the town, he looks up at the at, at crucifixion, yeah. And I've never seen that, and it's so because you, they would walk everywhere, right? And and for him to pass that and to just glance at it, I thought it was a very very uh, powerful scene. Yeah, that was that was really well done because mm-hmm. they must have seen it, right? Oh, at one point there was a there was a an insurrection, and almost two thousand Jewish men were crucified uh, on the road. I believe it was from Bethlehem into the city, into Jerusalem. And when they ran out of wood, closer they got to Jerusalem, they nailed the men to the walls of the city. Oh, my goodness. You could hear them screaming in the city. And you would think that it would be pretty smelly, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, That's a, the other thing. I think that you mentioned, like, the smells... And it's not only the sights, yeah. but like the smells of, yeah. of well, what it sweat, would be. The blood, the, you know, um, if we were, I think I, in my talk, I usually say, if, if we were forced to watch this, if we had to go back in time to watch this, we'd be physically sickened by what we saw at the I site bet. of crucifixion. Oh, yeah. my goodness. So um, we get to Golgotha. And on the way, I, then, I mentioned that Simon of Cyrene had to carry that. Right. Here, here's, you know, it's a, it's a half mile from the um, 
fortress of Antonia, where Jesus was condemned, mm-hmm. uh, to Golgotha, to Calvary. Golgotha means place of the skull, and that's why the Latin is Calvario. Calvario. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the first half is actually kind of a down, downhill walk. Second half is an uphill walk. And that's why this, I believe it's the sixth station where Simon is forced to carry the cross. Jesus is now starting to climb. ascend. He's starting mm-hmm. to climb. He can't carry that patibulum anymore. You know, this is something that as a, as a tecton, as this carpenter or stonemason right. uh, construction man, he would have carried larger loads more, much more easily than this. But he can't do that because of the shock that he's in. Mm-hmm. When they get to Golgotha, and they were part of a parade, you know, there, there would be the, the parade would lead off with a sign being carried by uh, a soldier that had the name and the crime of mm-hmm. the person who was being crucified or crimes. There were other two men crucified with Jesus um, when and beating drums. I mean, calling as much attention to this as possible. Uh, when they got to the top of, uh, of Golgotha, uh, they would have then um, given them a, a cup of wine with either grains of myrrh, which was considered uh, kind of like a painkiller. And this is to show the, the, uh, the, even though justice is being done here, there is a little bit of Roman mercy as well. Uh Is it a painkiller? No. No. (laughs) If I went to the dentist and I was going to have a root canal, I wouldn't want myrrh. (laughs) I'd take the lidocaine. Uh, uh, with a with an all day flush. long, <laughs> um, and so um, and Jesus refused that cup. He w- he wouldn't take it. He wouldn't take it. He wanted to drink from the cross. If if we follow this fourth cup right, right, uh, right. theory, uh, and so then at the proper time they would they, they were cut loose from the patibulum uh, and they throw them on the ground, and then a soldier would come up behind you when you would least expect it. And trip your legs out from under you. You would fall back, uh, falling into the dirt of the hill. Uh, they would then move the patibulum behind your shoulders, pin your arms down on there, uh, and one soldier would hold the arm in place while the other one would look for the spot where to put this seven-inch uh, squared spike. Uh, it's called the the Roman was called it the hollow spot, and we've got eight carpal bones that make our wrist move in so many different ways. And if you feel right in the middle of it, right where your lifeline ends, mm-hmm. there's an indentation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes, that's where the spike would be driven. Uh, and it would go right between those eight bones. And that would provide incredible strength so that the person would not fall off the cross. So that's always a misconception, right? Or I don't want to say misconception, but the belief is that he was nailed on the hands. Right, right. But that wouldn't have been able to support his weight, right? No. If they lifted him up, he probably, it probably would have torn through. Wow. Um, and so that's why it actually only took four Roman soldiers to crucify somebody. Mm. Uh, and then they would do it to the other arm. Uh, and then they would make a signal to lift up. The four soldiers would then, two on either side, lift up that patibulum over their head. At that point, Jesus would be dangling and held in place only by those two spikes. Oh my goodness. They say that sometimes with the weight of the body, uh, the shoulders would dislocate at that point. Jeez. They would then put that patibulum into the stipe, into the upright, 
okay. and then fix that. Uh, and Jesus is just hanging there at this point. And then they would take uh, his feet, mm-hmm. one on top of the other, uh, and with using one spike, they would then drive that between both feet against the wood of the cross. And they would leave a large amount of slack. They would actually literally bend the knees mm-hmm. uh, at a very, very sharp angle when they fixed the feet there uh, so that uh, the person uh, would be able to survive longer on the cross. Oh, wow. I can so explain they, like, that if you want. They perfected oh, yes. crucifixion to, to be as um, in Intensely painful as possible. That's where we get and excruciating, right? And excruciating prolonged. from out of the cross is excruciating, right? And prolonged, and prolonged, and slow, very slow, very prolonged death. Uh, they they knew, you know, that was the, the actually the genius of the Roman people was they learned from all these different cultures that they conquered, mm. and then capitalized and made it even better. Uh, here, uh, death. Yeah. <laughs> Torture yeah. even better. Exactly. They, they, they learned quickly that if they pulled the person's legs down almost straight, in the way we see Jesus on our crosses in our church, right. you know, it looks like he's, he's, just, he's got his arms outstretched, slightly hanging a little bit. His feet are straight, and he's just standing there, um, and again, sanitized, cleaned up. No, you know, you'll, you'll see some blood, but nothing There's like he would have. Maybe something running from the forehead and mm-hmm. the one on the side. Exactly. I mean, he's, Jesus was a bloody mess at this point. He was almost well, almost indescribably um, recognized. Yeah, exactly. And well, then they also take like his, his garments out, which yeah. you would think that with the blood being dried out, they and would hearing, like, yes. have taken skin off. Absolutely. So adding insult to injury, I guess. Um, but okay, now he, he has uh, nails through his wrists and, and feet. And then they lift him. Well, he's already in the upright position. Correct. But then um, I think you mentioned that there were, there were people that would last three days. Up to three days. To up to die. three days. Uh, now, of course, Jesus was scourged. Those people probably were not scourged. Yeah, like, like the two uh, criminals, right? Yeah, they, they were very much alive after Jesus had died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were killed, literally. But that's because uh, they broke the broke, legs. They broke their legs, mm-hmm. and that's the secret. Uh, you know, one thing it, that, that bears mentioning is that when those spikes go through the wrists, mm. there's a large nerve um, that gets damaged in the process called the median nerve. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the same nerve that affects people with carpal tunnel syndrome. Mm. Uh, it's, a big, it's a big nerve. Uh, nerve pain is the worst pain that a body can actually feel. Um, and every time since that spike goes through that, tearing that median nerve, any movement around that, uh, of, the, of the hand or the wrist of the hand mm-hmm. around that spike would cause horrible pain. Pain shooting from the wrist all the way to the central portion of the body. Oh my gosh. And there is, a, there is a corollary nerve that gets damaged in the feet as well, the deep peroneal nerve. So that every movement of that of your feet against that spike causes horrible pain. So what you want to do when you're on the cross is not move. Not move. Any slightest movement 
Um, I, I, the best way I can think of describe nerve pain mm-hmm. is, is when you go to a dentist. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had any fillings done mm-hmm. without Novocaine. Oh, then they touch. And the they, when they get close, oh, you feel oh, yeah. that. It's like that's an electrical shock. Exactly. And that's exactly what, what he would have felt. But the problem is that when you're in this hanging position now, the, there's so much strain put on the muscles of the chest wall pectoralis major, pectoralis minor, intercostal muscles, the muscles in between the ribs that allow our rib cage to expand and, and contract. These muscles uh, go into um, uh, almost what we call a tetany. It's a sustained cramping uh, and blood flow can't go through them. Uh, and what happens is the person can find when their arms are expanded like this or extended, you can take in a deep breath but you can't blow that air out. Oh no! So you have hyperinflated lungs. Your lungs are full of air. It's carbon dioxide. It's, the oxygen is being used up, which is forming more cramps. So the only way to breathe on the cross, this is, it, it is pure suffocation, asphyxia. The only way to breathe is by putting your full weight of your body against that one spike that's holding your feet in place and twisting your wrists in pushing yourself up into a standing position on the cross. To take a breath. Just to take a breath. So now when you do that, you can assume this position and you're you're almost in a standing standing position. And then all of a sudden it starts to release this pressure, this tetany on your chest wall muscles. And you can breathe the air out, forcibly breathe it out, and then breathe in fresh air. And you're fine, you're breathing, you're no longer, you're no longer uh uh, suffocating. Problem is, think of the movement. Think of the pain involved in moving up on the cross mm-hmm. and sliding up on the word of the cross with Jesus back the way it was. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a soft piece of wood. No, they didn't sand them. No, no, no. It wasn't well. <laughs> wasn't well. It was, formed, a, it well was a tree. Let's not call it what it. And then what happens is after after a few minutes, you start developing cramps in your calves and in your thighs from holding yourself in this position and the pain starts to become so bad that you just relax and allow yourself to slide down into the dependent hanging position again. And what happens? The cycle begins all all over over. again. So that each time you have to push yourself into that position, you are becoming more weak, more exhausted. And when you come to the point where you are so exhausted that you can't push yourself into the position where you can blow the air out and breathe in fresh air, then you suffocate and you die. That's why men who were younger men, revolutionaries, for example, men in their 20s and 30s revolted mm-hmm. against Rome and, and were crucified. They could last two to three days on the cross. They would just move into this position, and down, up and down. And, and once they could no longer do that, they mm-hmm. died. That's why... If you wanted to kill someone on the cross, if you wanted to end this, the Romans didn't want to. This was the whole point. Slow, 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 painful death. They would break the legs of the person, and you couldn't push yourself Mm -hmm. in that position. So they asphyxiated. And then they asphyxiated. Faster, right? Yeah. A little faster. And they had to do that to those two thieves, the two robbers, Mm -hmm. revolutionaries, whatever their crime was. but when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. Just from the way he was hanging, he was no longer moving in that position. You know, we, we look at the crucifix and we see a static image. 
You know, many times if, if, if it shows that Jesus is not dead, you know, he's like looking out very serenely, looking at us, you know, uh, or if he's dead, his head, his head is down. But it's a, it's, a, it's a static image. There was constant movement going on in order for him just to be able to breathe. In order to talk, you have to be right. in a position where you can exhale. So every time he had to talk, and he spoke seven times, that's recorded from the cross, he had to, he had to assume that position. Mm -hmm. that's just amazing to think that he was undergoing all of that and still was talking yeah and what's even more amazing what's the first thing he says father forgive them they, they know, know not what they do even from even from the, from the cross. cross he's he speaks his most eloquent homily his most eloquent teaching from the cross So um, we're a little over an hour, but it has been a fantastic uh, <laughs> conversation. Do you think we have time for the, the death certificate? Oh, for sure. Yeah. What would be like from the physicians, from a physician's perspective, like Jesus' death So the death certificate would say death came for Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth on April 7th, 30 AD, three o'clock in the afternoon caused by exhaustive asphyxia. So he suffocated to death uh, from the point of being exhausted and could not move into a position where he could breathe. The second cause of death would have been hypovolemic shock from critical loss of, of blood and bodily fluids. Uh, and if a post-mortem could be done, more than likely it would show a myocardial infarction, a heart attack, okay, uh, or actually even a, a cardiac rupture where the heart explodes in the chest cavity. Mm -hmm. And we know that, we know that because they broke the legs of the two robbers with Jesus, but when they saw that he was already dead, in order to assure themselves that the job was done, a soldier Longinus. opened up his, Longinus opened up his side, uh, probably between the fourth and fifth ribs. Uh, and when he pulled these, the um, lance, the lancia, the lance out, uh, it's John, who was an eyewitness to this, says both blood and water poured out. The blood was the uh, blood that remained in his right ventricle and atrium, the two chambers of his heart on the right side, mm -hmm. that was, it was still present inside those chambers after he had died and his heart was stilled. But the fluid, the water they saw, was an overproduction of pericardial fluid. The heart sits in a small sac uh, that has some fluid in it. It's called the pericardium. So that as the heart actually uh, beats, uh, it has something to lubricate it. Probably the easiest way to explain it. Because of the beating on the chest wall, the hypovolemic shock, there was a massive overproduction of this pericardial fluid. To protect uh, the heart? Yeah, yeah. Well, because uh, it was beating it, so fast, right? Exactly. But what it causes, there's just so much that the pericardia can stretch. So this overproduction causes a tremendous compression of the heart, and the heart can't beat properly. Uh, and that's that's a, a, a an emergency situation. It's got to be drained. We take a, a, a trocar or even a large bore needle, stick it in there, and pull that fluid out. Uh, what had happened, we think... Uh, is that they say that after Jesus had spoken for the last time, uh, he said, uh, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. 
Uh, it said he gave out a loud cry and then sunk down to the bottom of the cross and he had died. And they think because of all that fluid compressing, uh, the heart couldn't beat properly and either caused a cardiac rupture or a heart attack. He was having tremendous chest pain all the time he was on the cross. We never knew this mm-hmm. uh, until the pathologists could actually figure this out. John gave us the clue. Uh, and, of course, you know, whenever we talk about the blood and the water, oh, it's his blood and the, maybe the water of baptism and maybe, you know. But physiologically, it was this overproduction of, uh, of uh, pericardial fluid causing tremendous pain, which is why when he appeared to St. Mary Alakyok, uh, he said, look at this heart that suffered so much. Hmm. His heart was pierced after he was dead. So that didn't cause the pain. It was the pain from this pericardial tamponade, oh. it's called. Man. Puts a whole new spin on, the, on yeah. the sacred heart, doesn't it? Let that sink in, guys. Just just for a moment. Oh, my goodness. This is so many, so much information to process. Yeah. To to ponder during this this holier weeks. Um this is fantastic. We could keep talking. Oh, for sure. Um but but you know it's important. Just let me close with this yes, one statement. Yes, yes, of course. It's important to know that you know I I usually start my talk with the premise that we don't know what Jesus suffered and it's important to know that he he paid the price for our salvation. It's important to know what that price cost him. Mhm. And that looking at the cross is the greatest symbol of love that anyone could come up with. God's love there on display. But despite the blood, despite the pain, despite the torture, despite the humiliation of public execution and everything, you know, justice demanded that a man pay the price for the sin of Adam. But it was God's mercy that since no man could actually redeem people of the sins of the world, it was God's mercy and love that he asked his son, his obedient son, to become man so that the God-man could pay this price for us. And that's the real message of Good Friday. That's what's good about Good, good Friday, Friday yeah. God's love. And that's, that's the last idea that I, I, I like to give my, uh, the audience that I speak to. Well, we'll just leave it at that. That was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> No more. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was, um, a, it was a really a pleasure and a blessing. It, yeah. it was fantastic. And and we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Barbatos Catholic Podcast, a show where two Mexican dads talk about faith, life, and culture. If you like the podcast or got something out of this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Subscribe, like, comment, rate, and review if you haven't. And if you don't like the podcast, well, just keep it to yourself and let other people we'll make their own mistakes you. we'll pray for you exactly <laughs> um, go to direct.me forward slash barbatos to check out the show notes social media how to support the podcast if the spirit moves you and more and uh, have a blessed uh, holy week and uh, Easter Sunday and uh, bless Lennox Casey pray, pray for, for us. us until the next time